0: So excited to have our children participating in telling the Easter story. Thank you. Thank you, kids. Uh, I got got too many marks on the floor now. I'm not sure which one I'm supposed to be standing on. Uh, I said this back at Christmas time when our kids told the Christmas story that's very important to uh, the health of us as a congregation. Is that our children are recognizing their part in telling this story? Because this story we're telling today, this is his story, but it's our story. The story of Good Friday and Holy Saturday and and Resurrection Sunday. This is our story. It's why you're here today, it's why you're ever here in church you and I would never be in church except for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is our story. We started retelling the story Friday night. Uh, Ben put together a a really, really meaningful Good Friday service. Many of you were here. Uh, Many of you participated in that story. The worship team, several readers. And uh, I was... I was sitting here in the front, I didn't have an assignment Friday night just to be a part of the worshiping congregation, which was my favorite, and I was sitting there as the service was coming to a close, and, and uh, the scripture was being read, and music was playing softly behind the scripture reading, and, and we came to the end of the scripture reading, and the voice stopped, and the music stopped. And the lights went out. Do you remember that? Just like that, suddenly it was completely silent and dark. And I was sitting over here and I was thinking, this is the thought that came to my mind. The light of the world has gone out. Just wanted to let that sit with you for a second. The light of the world had gone out. Now, you and I, we know the rest of the story. But those first followers, on that first Friday, they weren't calling it Good Friday yet, I promise you that. For them, the light of the world had gone out. And for most of them, they had no thought, no idea, not even a flickering hope that that light would ever return. But then came Sunday morning. This morning, I want to talk with you briefly. I don't know if I will, but I want to talk to you briefly about what it means to stand outside and look in. And on that first Easter Sunday morning, on that first resurrection day, there are quite a few people that stood outside of that tomb and looked in. And if we put together the four accounts recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, we can build a list. That doesn't sound very interesting to you, but I'm going to try to... I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best. Yeah, probably. I am going to try to do my best to make this interesting. It starts in Matthew. Now, if you're taking notes in your bulletin, don't write anything yet, because if you do, I'm going to really frustrate you. Okay? Now if I frustrate you, it's on you, not me. Because I warned you, don't start writing yet. Don't start writing yet. You'll know when the time comes. I'll, I'll try to remember to, to tell you if you miss it. Don't write anything yet. This is what Matthew says. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. So here are the first two people who are identified as having stood outside of this tomb and looked in. One was Mary Magdalene, and the other is somebody Matthew identifies, and probably the people to whom Matthew thought he was writing would know who he meant, the other Mary. Anybody in the room today named Mary? Are there any Marys here today? There is? Yes, Mary Luna. There's another. So, okay. Do you see yourself in this story? You might be the other Mary. So far, we don't know. Well, you know. We could all make a pretty good guess that it wasn't either of you. But there's Mary Magdalene, the the more famous Mary. And then there's the other Mary. And... there's there's another other mary in the story too but we're not going to get to her we pick up in verse 2 of matthew 28 this is going to take a while isn't it At this pace matthew mark luke john and man he's got to stop and interrupt himself every verse come on the ham is going to burn we have a new oven And uh, today was the first time we tried figuring out how to program it, to come on at the right time, at the right temperature. We have no idea. (laughs) Here's hoping. With all the other things I had to talk to God about, I didn't want to bother Him with my oven. But Lord, by the way, if you can make that oven come on when it's supposed to come on, my life will be happier at home. Verse 2 There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, you see, I'm helping you pick these things out because I've got that highlighted in, in yellow so you know. Okay, here's another witness. The other, there's Mary Magdalene, there's the other Mary, and now we, we have an angel of the Lord who also was in a position to stand outside, and he was the first one to be able to look inside because he moved the stone out of the way. So we have merit. Don't write yet. I see you trying to write. Don't write yet. Because <laughs> you're going to be mad at me if you do. I'm telling you. Some more about this angel. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. That's, that's how you know he's an angel. Because in those days, nobody could get their clothes that white. Except angels. Verse 4. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now we have guards. An unknown, unspecified number of guards who are not named in any of the gospel accounts. They had names, presumably... They weren't named by their parents, guard one, guard two, guard three, guard four. They had names, but we're not told even how many there were, but at least two, right? Guards, plural. There are um, some guards, and they were were so stunned that possibly they, they never even had a chance to look into the tomb. They were so terrified of this angel that, okay... Roman soldiers, they've faced enemies, they've, they've seen combat probably, they've been brutal and been brutalized, but this angel was something they were not expecting or prepared for. That's what Matthew tells us. Now now in Mark, if you're, if you're trying to keep up with me, you're going to have to really be fast with the page turns. And you know what I found when you turn on your Bible on your, on your phone or tablet? Sometimes it takes longer to find the reference in your electronic Bible than flipping the page. But uh, I'm already at Matthew 16 because I had a head start on all of you. When the Sabbath was passed, Matthew, Mark 16, 1, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Now we have more information about that other Mary. Now we know which other Mary it was. Mary the mother of James. Now, <laughs> we're still not sure because there are more than one James whose mother was named Mary. Mary. Because Mary, the mother of Jesus, also had a son whose name was James. But if this was Mary, the mother of Jesus, it would have said Mary, the mother of Jesus. Not Mary, the mother of James. So here's, here's more information about that second Mary. Um, and then there's a woman named Salome. And then we already have the angel of the Lord and an unknown number of guards. So, still don't write. Now we're, now we're in Luke. Luke is the doctor, probably the most educated of all of the gospel writers. So, of course, his story is going to be the most accurate. Are you going to let me get away with that? I didn't think so. Who's behind the story? The Holy Spirit is behind all four of these gospel writers and directed them how to tell the story. By the way, they're not all identical, and that, that makes it more reliable. If every, all four gospels were word-for-word word identical, we'd say, there's some collusion here. No four people are ever going to tell the same story the same way unless they rehearsed it. Luke 23, verse 55. The women who had come with him from Galilee. There's some women, along with the 11, the 12 disciples. There are some women who travel with Jesus. I'm not going to get into why we don't know a whole lot about those women today. But um, I think you're going to notice from the list of people who stood outside the tomb looking in on that first Easter, is pretty heavily favoring the women. The women who had come with him, Jesus from Galilee, followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. They saw where the tomb was exactly. They watched him be laid in that tomb. And this is important because we don't want anybody to be able to say, well, of course the tomb was empty. They went to the wrong tomb. Which is what some people will say. They returned and prepared spices and ointments. They were getting ready to go back. I'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. But, this is Luke 24, 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled Wave stone, stone, I think I said stone, can you tell I'm a little anxious? I've got a great story to tell. they rolled they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, huh, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. and, and verse four, while they were perplexed about this, behold. Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Uh Uh-oh. It's Mary Magdalene. It's Mary the mother of James. It's Salome. It's two angels. This is one of the reasons why I told you don't start writing yet. And, of course, the unknown number of guards. Uh, Continuing in Luke 24, but down in verse 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to to the disciples. So Mary Magdalene, she's mentioned in all three of the Gospel accounts so far. Mary, the mother of James, is mentioned all three times. Only twice now she's more thoroughly, accurately identified. Now we've got this woman named Joanna. And then other women so at least two more besides the three named and two angels and the unknown number of guards now we come to John John chapter 20 now on the first day of the week see there's a detail that's consistent in all four stories right when it happened so the first day of the week Mary Magdalene, here she is again, came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. By the way, that's John. John never names himself in his gospel. He never identifies himself by name. He always calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Modesty. Maybe he was really proud of the fact that he was the favorite. (laughs) The other disciple said, oh yeah, he's the favorite. Just like Matthew's brothers say. Mary ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, John, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He was younger and faster and more excited, maybe. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. Bad breaks. He just charged right in. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They're still working this out. Now, now you can write in your bulletin notes, this is the list. There's an unknown number of guards. There's two angels There's Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, there's Salome, there's Joanna, and there's still at least one more woman uh, whose name was not mentioned. At least one more woman. And then finally there's Simon Peter, and there's John. What's the point of all of this? What did all of these witnesses who stood at the tomb looking in, what did every one of them see? Before you answer that question, think about this. What did they expect to see? They expected to see a dead body. Wrapped rather hastily, because there wasn't much time when Jesus was buried in this tomb. There wasn't enough time to properly prepare his body for burial. The women in the custom of the day, the women would have taken the body and carefully washed it and purified it according to their religious custom. They would have applied the ointments and spices and they would have carefully wrapped the body for proper burial. But there wasn't time. And because there wasn't time, these women spent the hours they had Waiting until the Sabbath was ended and the next day had begun, and they went to finish what they knew should have been done to properly care for the body of the one they had loved so dearly and in whom they had placed their hope. Meanwhile, the men in this story of Jesus' disciples, what were they doing? we're not told but they were waiting in the upper room gathered together if you listen to the songs they were half in hope the darkness and half in fear the day would find the soldiers breaking through to drag them all away the men were planning and discussing and figuring things out while the women were getting ready to do something i appreciate that about the women in this story and I think all of us should it's no accident that of all of the people who came to the tomb on that first resurrection day all of the people who chose to be there who weren't ordered to be there who weren't assigned to be stationed there all but two of the people who came were women And only two of the eleven surviving disciples made their way to the tomb. So far as we know. The people expected when they got to the tomb to find the dead body of their beloved rabbi. But when they got to the tomb, what did they see? Every person who stood outside that tomb and looked in saw the exact same thing nothing only the angels only the angels knew that the tomb was already empty it has been said and i love this the angels did not open the tomb so that jesus could come out they rolled the stone away so the witnesses could see in. All of these witnesses, including the guards, when they finally came to and went to report to their superiors what they saw. Everybody saw the same thing. Not what they expected to see. They saw nothing. Nobody. 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 Huh. That works. So why is it then that all of these witnesses who saw the same evidence arrived at a several different conclusions? They all saw an empty tomb. But what conclusions did they reach? Well, for some... Their conclusion was denial. There must be some explanation besides the obvious. I mentioned one. We're we're all looking in the wrong place. Of course this tomb is empty. It's always been empty. No one was ever buried here. The tomb you're looking for is another tomb in the next cliff. Denial. Some experience doubt. Even Mary Magdalene, who is the only one mentioned in all four of the stories. Mary, by the way, went to tell Peter and John and then came back. She came back to the same place. She wasn't finished looking. She wasn't finished thinking. She wasn't finished grieving. She was filled with anguish because... Her first conclusion was wrong. What did she say? They've taken him. And I don't know where she's where they put him. Later in John's story, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. And she mistakenly identifies him as a cemetery worker, a gardener. And she said, maybe he knows. And so he's, she pleaded with him. Sir, if... They've taken him away. If you know where he is, tell me where he is. And then Jesus spoke her name. And she recognized him. Her first reaction was denial and doubt. Another reaction, common, understandable, confusion. John mentions it. We did not yet remember that Jesus said... That this is exactly what was going to happen. We weren't connecting the dots. We didn't, we didn't understand that what Jesus said, he meant. Anybody else have that reaction? Ever? Something that you heard Jesus say, and you didn't realize that he meant it? Really? You want me to what? What? The fifth reaction, wonder. As the denial was let go of for some, as the doubt was resolved, as the confusion cleared, now there's wonder. And ultimately, the best conclusion, belief. In John's Gospel, John tells on himself, he was the first one to reach belief, even though he still didn't understand. John saw and he believed, although he did not yet understand that Jesus said he would be raised from the dead in in, uh, keeping with the scriptural promise. Now, we've talked about all of the witnesses who looked who stood outside the tomb and looked in on the first Easter Sunday. But what about since? You're all here today because of the first Easter Sunday. But what about today? The facts surrounding the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Have not changed since they were first established on that first day of that first week that we now call Easter Sunday the facts have not changed added to those original set of facts are the testimonies and experiences of those people who on that day and immediately after saw Jesus alive and interacted with him and heard him speak and touched his actual physical body looked at the nail prints in his hands and feet and saw the mark of the spear that went into his side and heard him talk about what was coming next. I'm leaving, and when I leave, I'm sending the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And that day, uh, recorded in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended into heaven, and as he left two men in white apparel, was it the same two angels? Maybe. Maybe. Or was it two other ones who, who uh, drew the lucky straw in heaven to say, can I, can I go? Can I go this time? Something else I was thinking about Friday night, Good Friday. I was thinking about what all the angels were doing on Good Friday. I imagine, I imagine on Good Friday, as events were unfolding on the hill called Golgotha, as Jesus was being beaten and then forced to drag this instrument of brutal uh, crucifixion and execution to that place. And I, can, I, I just had a moment when I began to imagine the host of angels. John says thousands and thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. A great multitude of the heavenly host. Like Like appeared in the sky over Bethlehem for the shepherds on the day, on that night when Jesus was born. I could just imagine the heavenly host, suited up in full armor, ready to go to war. Michael the archangel, waiting for the command from the throne, and he's holding out his arms, holding back the angelic host. Can angels cry? I wonder. I also wondered about that other array of unseen spirits. Much closer. Could we glimpse into the spirit realm for a moment and imagine Satan and his cronies looking on, thinking, thinking that they were winning? Thinking that they now had a a stranglehold on God. They had his son, and they were going to put an end to him once and for all. Once. (laughs) But I love that reading that Pastor Tim shared. Imagine thinking, imagine thinking you could hold God in the grave. Now you and I, we have all of that evidence, the same evidence that the first witnesses who stood outside the empty tomb had, the, the, the eyewitness testimony, and everything that has happened since. Some have said, the deniers, the deniers have said, the disciples lied. Lied. This was a conspiracy. This was a hoax. They did take the body and they buried it someplace else in an undisclosed location, and they just told everybody that he was alive. That is one of the stories that has been told. The father of lies is behind that story, of course, you understand, and, and, and all the other stories that are false. But, but just thinking about that one story. If you knew, if you knew that your message was a lie, if you knew you were perpetrating a lie, you were perpetuating a lie, if you knew it was a lie, would you still die for it? All of the disciples did. For them, it was no lie. For them, it was the gospel truth. See what I did there? The gospel truth. Those witnesses stood then in the same place, metaphorically speaking, that you and I are standing today. Now, we're not standing in a windswept, stony outcrop, looking at a cave, improved to serve as a tomb. We're sitting here in a nice, comfortable, well-ventilated, well-lit, sitting in your comfortable, lazy boy church seat, pink or green, either one. We are not literally where they were, but spiritually, metaphorically, we are in the exact place. We are looking and considering the same evidence that those first witnesses had. And if you could just imagine for a moment looking through that cave opening, enough daylight coming through To illuminate that there at the back there is some some sort of a formation, probably partially handmade stone that was fashioned into what you and I might think of as a bench. A horizontal surface where you could imagine that uh, an approximately human-sized figure could be laid Can you imagine looking into a place like that and seeing nothing but some pieces of linen? Maybe if you peer carefully into the dimly lit space, you could make out some dark smudges on that linen that might be dried blood. Was it the Shroud of Turin? Well, I don't know about that. But you and I, looking into that, imagining looking into that space, what do we see? Do we see the body of Jesus laying there? No. No one has ever claimed, ever, that the body of Jesus was still in that tomb on the morning of the first day of that week. Nobody has ever said, oh, it was there the whole time. It was a trick. Sleight of hand. There was a... Who's that master illusionist that, that makes things disappear? Made, made Niagara Falls disappear? David Copperfield. Was it, was it a David Copperfield illusion? Did they, did they put some kind of a screen in front of the body that looked exactly like the back of the cave? No. Nobody has ever said the tomb was still full. Nobody has ever said Jesus is still in the tomb. No one has ever said that. Not even those who don't believe in the resurrection have ever said he was still in the tomb. The evidence still holds up. Even though we all still have the same evidence, still today we come to different conclusions, don't we? The five possible conclusions I mentioned earlier. Denial, doubt, confusion, wonder, belief. The Roman soldiers will refuse to believe the evidence of their own eyes and their own ears. Imagine them telling their buddies about how these two angels knocked them out. They will instead knowingly lie and deny the truth. They were bribed by the Jewish authorities to tell a different story. But they knew they were lying. And the Jewish authorities knew that these men they paid to lie were lying. Some will hear the report of these eyewitnesses. Even today, some of of the people in churches today hearing um, maybe, I don't know how many preachers are preaching today, but in every place where the name of Jesus Christ is prayed, p- praised, and prayed too, praised, m- maybe tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, big churches, little churches, house churches, all over the world today, preachers are standing up in front of people like you telling this, kind, this same story. We only have one story. But people will hear the story and come to different conclusions today as they did then. Some will hear the report of those eyewitnesses and doubt. Like like that disciple that we maybe mistakenly refer to as Doubting Thomas. Who had a hard time believing what other people were telling him because it defies logic. It makes no sense. It couldn't have happened. And, And... Maybe you were like Thomas and you say I want actual proof. Thomas got it. Here I am, Thomas. Go ahead, touch. Then Thomas was ashamed, right? He didn't he didn't he didn't he didn't he, didn't, he did not actually reach out and touch he was convinced and he and he cried out what did he say my lord and my god thomas said his doubt was overcome others will stand outside like him and and refuse to believe because of their commitment to logic and reason and the natural laws and the demand for physical, tangible proof and evidence. It's impossible, people will say, and to which we will say, you know, God doesn't know the word impossible. Yes, it makes no sense by natural laws, but who wrote the natural laws? The one who writes the laws has the authority to overrule the law, and we call that supernatural, above nature, right? Super, above, on top of what is naturally possible, God does the supernatural, the things that are not possible. But then there are those, like many of us in the room today, perhaps, God willing, everyone in the room today, who will refuse... Refuse the logical interpretation,'ll we'll reject the demand to rely on common sense, and we will say it doesn't matter that the natural law says that what is dead does not live again. Jesus proved it in his lifetime, and he proved it even in his temporary death. And we will believe the simple the simple explanation that explains all of the facts and all of the evidence, Jesus is alive. Every one of us in the room today and everywhere else that the story has been told, we have all been presented with the same evidence. We have all looked in to see what can be seen. So... What do you do with the evidence? You can't just stand outside and look in forever. You have to make a move. You have to make a choice based on the evidence that's been presented to you. You need to really step inside to see what there is to see. So, this morning, when you started listening to this long message, if you've endured this long, still awake, congratulations. You might have been standing on the outside looking in. You might still be undecided, at least when you came into the room today. You might have been a person who comes into the room that part of you, you're conflicted, part of you wants to believe. But there's still that logic, that reason, that wish you had confirming proof and evidence. I invite you to step inside. Take the step of faith. It's not blind faith. It's not blind faith. Anybody who tells you that it requires blind faith hasn't been paying attention. The faith that I have that Jesus lives is not a blind faith. It is a reasonable conclusion based on all of the evidence that can be examined. Jesus of Nazareth was put to death on a Roman cross. There's no mistaking that. Trust a Roman soldier to know a dead body when he sees one. That dead body of Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. Joseph of Arimathea was kind enough to make his tomb available, not knowing that it would just be loaned. How do you move from the outside looking in to the inside knowing you're part of the body of Christ? This verse was read earlier in the... Earlier in this worship time when we were, when we were uh, getting our hearts in the right place. Music helps us to do that. Thank you, worship team, for helping us to prepare our hearts. To be in the place where we could re- receive from God what he wants to give us. Jesus said, before his own resurrection and before he raised Lazarus from the grave he was about to do that but before he did that he said to mary to excuse me to martha Hmm. first time i said martha today jesus said i am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me though he die yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die do you believe this I want to end the message today with one more testimony. This is the testimony of a person who stood on the outside looking in and refused to believe. He refused to believe. In fact, he was so adamantly opposed to those who were claiming that Jesus was the Messiah and that God had raised him from the dead, that he was hunting them down. He was pursuing them. To eliminate them. To silence this blasphemous story. The Apostle Paul I'm talking about. You probably already figured that out. He was standing out on the outside looking in like you and I are today. Not the actual tomb, but symbolically the way you and I see the tomb. He didn't like what he saw or what he was hearing so much that he made it his business to silence it. To put an end to it once and for all. And then he saw. He saw the very one. Whom he had been denying. And because he saw. He became a believer. He became a disciple. He became an apostle. He became what we would call today a missionary. And this is what he said. About What it means to stand on the outside and look in and come to a conclusion. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That's a pretty plain statement isn't it? He goes on. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Jesus is alive. Do you believe it? Not just in your head. Not just in your heart. But you are affirming this truth. The evidence that has been presented to you. You're standing in the crowd of people who say yes, yes. I don't care that it doesn't make sense. I don't care that it's not logical. I don't care that it's not possible. Jesus is alive. And I've staked my life on it. Picture this. That's exactly what you're supposed to be picturing right there. This is what Saturday of Holy Week symbolically was like. Dark, empty, no light. The light of the world had gone out. Without light, without life, without hope. But just wait a minute. It happens so gradually that, that dark becomes light at dawn. It's almost imperceptible... It's not as dark as it was. What is the saying? The darkest hour is just before the dawn. And it's slowly, slowly, slowly becoming lighter and lighter and lighter until morning has broken. I want you to recite these words with me. This is another one of our famous Easter hymns. We didn't use it in worship. We're not going to sing it now. We're just going to say the words, and I'm going to invite you to say them with me. I remember this telling of the Easter message from my earliest days in church. Maybe some of you can identify with that. It starts out, "'Lo in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior, waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord.'" And then the music starts to build,. Da, 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 and I invite you to stand and say the rest of this with me. Up from the grave he arose, with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose Praise God you this morning as we're about to leave I'm going to challenge you I don't don't mean this to sound pugnacious or offensive I'm just going to challenge you pick a side make a choice if you haven't yet declare 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 to somebody, declare to God first, and then declare to somebody who matters to you whose side you're on. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is alive? He's your Savior. Maybe you've already chosen. Maybe you've already made that declaration. Today I'm just inviting you to affirm it, confirm it, in your own heart, in your own mind. And to someone who's who matters to you, before you go home today, say to someone who matters to you, I am a believer in the risen Lord. He is my Savior. And if you can't say that, but you'd like to, talk to me, talk to uh, someone else who you recognize as a person who looks trustworthy, who looks like they know what they're talking about, if you can find one. there's There's men and women all over the room that would be glad to talk with you. Don't go home today uncertain. Don't go home today not knowing whose side you are on. Let's pray together. I Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the time we've spent today in worship and celebration and rejoicing and telling the old, old story again. Thank you for the way the children helped us Thank you for the way the worship team helped us. Thank you for the great music. And thank you for your word and your promise and your victory and for letting us share in your victory as your people. We do believe. And I thank you, Father, for giving us a reason to hope and a reason to celebrate and an occasion to worship you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Be blessed today. God bless you.